Namaste and welcome to this Wednesday 10 p.m. show. And Wednesday 10 p.m. of course we are featuring Shri Vibhuti Jha and with him today we have got Dr. Ajay Shungu. And uh, of course our Jaipur Dialogues viewers, so he is a regular, <coughs> he is a regular appearance. But um, uh, the Wednesday night show is very popular in the USA. You might not have seen Dr. Ajay Chungu earlier. Uh, let me introduce him to you. He is, of course, a doctor. Uh, what should I say? A displaced Kashmiri. And uh, who just escaped uh, genocide. Now settled in Jammu. And he is also the president of Panoon Kashmir. That movement seeking to have a Kashmiri homeland within the Kashmir Valley. So welcome Vibhuti ji and welcome uh, Dr. Shrungu. Uh, let's straight into this topic. Uh, this is something that we have been discussing for the US audiences and uh, uh, the combined Indian audiences for some time with Vibhuti ji. And we call it not Hindu phobia, but Hindu misia because uh, phobia is irrational fear. And Misia is actually hate. So the Hindu hate is very much prevalent in the West, particularly in the US, especially in the academia and uh, even in certain other aspects. So my proposal today, and I will start with Dr. Shungu. My proposal today is that uh, this whole business of Hindu Misia, it starts with our own self-loathing. Before we go and blame the West for it, I think we need to look inwards and our own self-loathing of which genocide denial of the Hindus is a, a very, very prominent feature. And this genocide denial extends to over a thousand years. And uh, if we take uh, Will Durant's figures, it uh, actually extends to almost uh, 80 million Hindus, of which uh, the Kashmiri genocide is a, a very, very prominent part. And even now, we are seeing this happen in Bengal. So this is my proposition for today, Dr. Chungu. I'm not able to hear you. No, your voice is not coming through. Your voice is not coming through. Uh, I think this, we can hear other things, but we can't hear your voice. I think uh, maybe something wrong with the mic. Hmm? Okay, so uh, let's put this uh, whole thought into perspective, Vibhuti ji. Uh, do you agree with the way I have constructed the proposition? Uh, yes, you have. You, you always do. So you are very polite in asking me if you have. So I congratulate you for being so. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's a left-handed compliment. No, no, this is a straight-handed compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, there is no mincing of words because it's important. And uh, you know, today I was, I took a chance to look up the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide by the United Nations, all right, Article 2 of that. And in the, it says here, and I want to read it so that people know exactly what it is. In the, pre, in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such. One, killing members of the group, Two, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction 
in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, and lastly, force, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. So if you look at these five parameters alone set by the United Nations, we know that it all happened in some measure in Jammu and Kashmir Ladakh area, especially on the Kashmiri Pandits. It all happened without any equivocation on that account. So when the people of Kashmir had heard, convert, leave or die, that also falls in this parameter of declaring of declaration of genocide. But I must say this one thing true. I'm a very optimistic guy and I believe I'm an incorrigible optimist. And I believe that there is a goodness in human being that transforms to dharma winning over adharma at some point in time. But yesterday I watched your show with Ankur Sharmaji from Jammu and that was a remarkable show in the sense that it reminded me of a conversation that I had in which Sharmaji had said that there is a complete bureaucratic and systemic invasion of the American Indian body politic which prevents the system to rise to the occasion. The people are so dominated by that. So two elements to stand out. One is that a friend of mine, for the sake of confidentiality, I'll just call him Javed Bhai, who his inimical style had told me 12 years ago or so, Murti ho, Mudaliyar ho, Mishra ho, Mandal ho, Matre ho, Singh or Sharma ho. Aap sab ke sab apni sarkar banayenge, lekin sarkar chalayenge hum. आप सब जो है इकट्ठे हमें कंसेशंस देंगे हमारे वोटों के लिए और हम वो कंसेशन लेंगे और ऊपर से ज्यादा और भी ज्यादा कंसेशन लेते रहेंगे क्योंकि आप सब हमारे वोट के के लिए भागते रहेंगे दिस वाज समथिंग व्हिच वाज टोल्ड टू मी अबाउट 12 इयर्स अगो दैट समथिंग इकोड विद मी व्हेन आई हर्ड मिस्टर शर्मा यस्टरडे दैट समवेयर अलोंग द लाइन in the Indian system during my time, when I was studying in Ferguson and Gokhale Institute, it was reckoned to be fashionable to be a Marxist. It was fashionable to be a communist. It was fashionable to becoming, you know, abuse freedoms, challenge the system. And that's what through Bollywood and other movie creations had seeped into our body politic. And as a result of which, we ourselves, and you said it very correctly, before we blame the West, we have to take account of that scenario. And therefore, there was another mention by Mr. Sharma, which is again my pet theme, is that implementation of plants and actions suffers in India because of varieties of factors. And one of them is you were part of was the bureaucracy. So think about it. You know, when the IRS officer goes to become an IRS officer, a student, what does he study? He studies the UPSC laid down syllabus in which which was dominated by the Guhas and uh, you know, Guhas, Thapars, Habibs of the world. And became, it was all became, a, you know, the, there was a distaste hit put through the Hindu majority. The customs traditions were looked down upon. And as you very rightly had said once in this particular program, that the bureaucracy's job is to maintain the status quo. They are not the change agent. The bureaucracy's job is to maintain status quo, maintain law and order, you know, you know, allow things to happen the way it ought to remain as is. As a result of which, what we saw, the Babu Giri, which we saw in recent past, you did a brilliant show on an IS officer beating up a person on the road, was reminiscent of British era. The today's bureaucrat, today's administration has to be development oriented. That never came about. So what we are talking about here is a very serious proposition that if we do not, a Kashmiri Pandit genocide was not recognized by the Indian government itself, despite these United Nations Charter clearly saying so, because there was ethnic cleansing, there was conversion, there was threat to leave or die. If this kind of an environment, if we do not ourselves do something about it, as much as the Kashmiri Pandits shout to United Nations and various bodies, Nobody is going to accept it because your own government is not accepting it. 
So that's where lies the challenge within our own system, that we have to become more aware and awakened about what's going on. There is a, there is, there has to be, uh, you know, look at the numbers. I mean, it is mind-boggling that you know, in 1971 there was Hindu genocide in West Bengal, in Bangladesh, which is now we know, right? Women were raped, children were murdered, 10 millions of them. You know, the numbers are absolutely mind-boggling, but that's not recognized. We have not ever made it as a genocide. We called it a refugee problem, which brought Indira Gandhi to the United States to stop that. And the United States poo-pooed her claim at that point in time. Churchill, for example, the much-touted hero of England, his, his actions were responsible for death of six to seven million people in India in the famine-related issues. You will know Noah Khali, where butchering, killing, conversion happened rampantly. So if we are not recognizing our own cases of genocide, then we must learn the lesson from the world around us that how Jews converted that into a Holocaust and made it recognized as a genocide. And that's what is the challenge that we face. We need internal reconfiguration of our mind, body, and soul in thinking that's what is happening to Hindus. And that's where the Hindu messiah comes in. The hatred for Hindus exists because we are the people somewhere along the line, we survived. We always talk about we are still around. And that's what I say, that 1.3 billion Hindus will not vaporize or die overnight. But the decolonization, balkanization of India is happening through Ghazwai Hind and whatever else is, is being talked about. It's not unreal. It's quite real yes. because I say some. I just want Bhagwai to say this last is the sentence. counter to Ghazwai Hind. To the, well, my apologies. I said Ghazwai Hind. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that you know something very clearly that the enemies are using the democratic process and the tools to unseat us. And we are not taking cognizance of that fact. Tomorrow, if evil elements in India, in the name of suffering and uh, you know, victimization by majority Hindutva ideas, if they declare a particular region as their own country, there will be 50 countries to recognize them, including our neighbors. So we are facing an existential threat. We are hated. We are disliked for the simple reason that we can survive if only we tighten our belt and jump into the field. Okay, so can we have Dr. Chirungu now? Is, is there? Yes. I hope my yeah. voice is... Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. We can hear you, only you are not centered. Can you just center yourself? I can, I can center. Okay? Yes, yes, it's okay. yes. It's fine. It's fine. So you heard, uh, Dr. Shungo, you heard Vibhuti uh, Jhaji. Uh, and you might have heard Uncle Sharma yesterday. And I am making a larger case. Uh, it's not just confined to the uh, genocide of Kashmiri Pandits, but... Uh, a millennium-long genocide. And my case is that it is this genocide, instead of uh, producing any sympathy for us, or instead of consolidating our cause, instead, instead of consolidating our own identity, it is only producing Hindu Mesia or Hindu hatred in the West. What an irony. Uh, you see, uh, two things are very important to, um, I think, to appreciate in this context. One thing which has to be appreciated is that there is a fundamental uh, difference in the quality of consciousness of an inclusive society and consciousness of a society which is ultimately driven by totalitarian religious and political cultures. The sensitivities are different, the orientation is different, the reference frame is different. So for an inclusive society, for an inclusive culture, to understand a totalitarian assault is very difficult. For an inclusive culture to understand uh, an irrational war is also very, very difficult to understand. Because the evolution of sensitivities and the intellectual processes is entirely 
different in different directions west has been the part of that religio political cultural process which for a long time was totalitarian even which when it started flirting with the ideas of inclusiveness and democracy remained imperialist and colonialist for a long long time and its conscious its, its consciousness was at peace because its orientation and its evolution was totalitarian on the other side hindu consciousness for a millennia it it received the assaults the most brutal assaults in the history of world assaults which were of genocidal nature but it could not transform the essential quality of the consciousness the inclusive consciousness where irrational war could not fit in into the rationality of the mind where whole hog destruction of societies cultures ethnicities nations it did not it was incomprehensible so at a very consciousness plane at the quality of the consciousness planes we had a problem the second problem which we had was that the very brutality of the war for one millennium it must have created a numbness you see in our college days when we used to do the experimentation the biology and we used to go to the um, to the to the laboratory and we would they would tell us that you uh, have to do some experimentation with the frog the frog was um, held by its legs and then with a stick we will we will uh, hammer it on its head which was called a stunning and the next step was pitting that you put a needle into the spinal cord and destroy the spinal cord this numb numbing or this um, and and this um, ultimately becoming almost a vegetable it, it was a result of of a very fundamental violence which was inflicted on the frog for 1000 years the type of destruction to which india has been subjected and hindus have been subjected it has not been able to destroy the spinal cord but it has created a sort of an anesthesia or a sort of an escape that we want to avoid the recognition of the fact that we are facing with a process of violence which is entirely different than our civilizational experience and that um, withdrawal that escape or that anesthesia has ultimately led to us not responding to it not and trying to understand it it's a because it's it's very unusual trying to think that you have to understand the insanity you have to understand the madness for a civilization which was far ahead of its counterparts in rest of the world to them to for them trying to comprehend insanity uh, try trying to um, comprehend the extremes of brutality it was it did not fall within the rational frame of mind and that's perhaps what has happened to india there is one more thing perhaps the defeat the sense of defeat the sense of destruction which took place is with regard to west there has been this talk that uh, the uh, the islam could enter into europe because europe at that time was in the dark ages and they said that the the barbarians um, had created the dark ages it had it, it had relapsed into economic um, and this decline to the extent that they could not um, fight the war with the um, with the islam um, once the islamic invasions uh, took place but in recent times the researchers have found that the dark ages had not come because the barbarians had shifted or moved from germany and tried to attack the rest of the uh, european uh, european countries and um, brought them down to a state of um, what you call as decline but the um, darkness had taken place because the islam um, islamic armies had drowned hundreds of um, and the vessels trading vessels and um, the um, the research on on the floor bed of mediterranean and once they tried to correlate um, um, correlate it they found that um, 
that the trade um, across the Mediterranean was destroyed. It was destroyed by the Muslims. And perhaps the dark ages, the decline had also happened because the, the trading process with Europe, it had declined to a greater extent. And the surprise was that why did it happen that even after having an ascendance globally, the Western world, their historians and their, their um, analysts, they tried to undermine it. They tried to distort it. They tried to deny this reality. And there are many who say that it was the fright, the fright of the destruction. It was the impact of the destruction, which some people say uh, the imposition of, they call it as an imposition of the Islamic will. That they were thinking that if they really face the reality, it is going to cause a bigger problem. So massive destructions across the continents, against the civilizations, relentless and prolonged destruction sometimes create this process that you start denying, you start closing your eyes, you start acting as ostriches. And you think that by trying to postpone the conclusions, you are actually winning the war. To some extent, it might have happened in India also. But I'll just want to tell you, just to come to the focus uh, at this um, time, is that you have an example of 47. 1947 partition of India took place. It had many lessons. Just before the partition, there was a great famine of Bengal. And you could see that millions died. But one of the foremost intellectuals and statesmen of the world, um, Winston Churchill, they, he, he could overlook it. He was ready to allow millions of people to perish only to see that the trade or the economic interests of Britain are uh, going to be uh, protected. And when the partition plan was conceived, it was a plan on the throes of genocide. Very thinking that we will expunge out a part of the, uh, the, 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 um, the Bharat Varsha or India. It was basically saying that we are going to unleash a genocide to create two countries, only to preserve, only to protect the strategic interests. And the genocide was not of a few thousand people or a few lakh people. The implication was millions of people will die only to protect the geopolitical um, interests. So we had, we had a part of the civilization, a part of the, say, the superpower United Kingdom who was ready to inflict it. On the other side, we had the political class in India, the Muslim League, which was ready to inflict it to get Pakistan and the Congress ready to allow it to get whatever could be go, got after, uh, after a truncated India. Now, the moment you see this reality, you understand to what extent the human mind can ultimately go down to what extent of evil, if it can be called as evil. Congress leaders knew what partition meant. Jinnah also knew what partition meant. Both the sides knew that it will unleash colossal destruction. Both the sides were ready for that destruction. And both the sides want the matters to be settled through this colossal destruction. And once it happened, both the sides were ready to fudge it. So what happened in 1947 was not only the, the genocidal intentions of the British to ultimately destroy a civilization. It was also the, the very, um, you can call malignant interests which were being followed, even at the cost of unleashing genocides by the political class of India at that time on one side, Muslim League, on the other side, the Congress. So they, they were preparing for the transition and they were ready to allow that transition if millions of people die. And that happened. And what happened after that? A Pakistan was created. I call Pakistan as a genocidal state. Pakistan is not a normal state. It is a state which was created out of a genocide. And it is a state which is ultimately nourished on the concepts of genocide. And that's why Pakistan over the years, it became a Pakistan where only genocides could happen. They unleashed genocides on the minorities there, 23 to 27% population. So the moderate estimates are 23% people were left there. They unleashed, the, after the partition, 
they unleashed a genocide on the 23% of the non-Muslims there. Then they uh, unleashed genocide on the Bengalis, both Hindus and Muslims. They unleashed a genocide even in Sindh, even in Balochistan. So to recognize that Pakistan was a genocidal state, a state created out of a genocide and a state which would call itself the new Medina, which meant they wanted to export the experiment of Islam to the east, to the non-Muslim world, which meant a commitment to a genocide for more. So we had a genocide state created. And then the other state which was created was the state of India, which tried to ignore genocide which tried to close the eyes to the genocide, which tried to distort the memory of the genocide, which tried to play, put the blame of genocide on the victims themselves. That was the reality of the state of India. So state of India was actually, Pakistan was a state of genocide. India was a state of denial of genocide. And it was based till since 47 to this time, Indian state has continued to be a state of denial of genocide. We try to presume that since the majority of people of India are Hindus and Hindus play a dominant role in forming the government, Indian state automatically will be in sync with the very basic survival needs of the Hindus. But the reality is different from the inception 1947 till now, Indian state denied the genocide of Hindus. Indian political class denied the genocide of the Hindus. Why did they do it? They wanted to postpone the conclusion that just partition eventually did not solve the problem. In fact, it unleashed a war. It was the continuation of the same genocidal war which was happening for 1000 years. So the biggest, the biggest surprise is that the Hindus also started ignoring the genocide. We can say that before 47, uh, the concepts of genocide, the comprehension about the nature of genocide that perhaps was not understood by the people of India. But in 40, once the genocidal con convention was accepted, prevention and punishment of the crime of genocide convention was adopted in which the state of India uh, uh, played a pioneering role. And the same convention was ratified by the parliament of India. After that, Indian state remaining neutral or even uh, in the denial mode of genocide was, was one of the biggest crimes which was committed. And it continues to be like that till now. So the Hindus are facing two realities. One reality is the genocidal state of Pakistan, which continues to inflict genocide because it has to create. It is a new Medina. It has to destroy India. India is the old Makkah, the idealist. The pluralist Makkah has to be destroyed. They are doing it. And on the other side, the state of India, which had to protect it, is denying it. You'll be surprised when the genocidal violence in Kashmir was unleashed against the Hindus. They were standing instructions to the people that you will never hand over this. When they were told and the government of India was informed that the people will be expelled. Religious cleansing will take place still. The executive heads were told that you will not call the army. You will not invite them. Who will tell you what has to be done? And when eventually the religious cleansing happened, do you know what happened? At the level of Congress, at the level of the non-BJP parties, they, they put the blame on unemployment, on rigged elections. What was happening in the Kashmir was misguided youth. So they concocted reasons which were not existing, which even the separatists, which even the political parties of the valley, mainstream political parties were not accepting. Repeatedly from National Conference to Hezbollah Mujahideen, every leader has said over the years that it's not, it's not the battle of development. It's not the alienation is not because of Developmental um, uh, deficit. We, 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 have a, we have an issue, and the issue is Islamic issue. It has to be settled. But Indian state concocted. Rigged election was concocted by the state of India. It was not concocted by the Muslims of Kashmir. Unemployment as a reason for uh, unrest there was concocted by the state of India. When the percentage of, say, employed 
government employees and the population was the highest in Kashmir. Government of India churned out this. The state of India churned out this rationalization. And they tried to create alibis for it to fudge the genocide. And they called the, the religious cleansing as migration. You'll be surprised when government of India submitted a memorandum to the International Council of Jurists during Narsimharov period. They said it is a, it's a demographic assault which tantamounts almost to the religious cleansing. But when they submitted their own memorandum to the National Human Rights Commission, they said it is a self-imposed displacement. Now, it can be a very small empirical fact in front of us that we can ignore that it was a mistake. No, it's not a mistake. Three million people died in 1947. How much has been written by Hindus on this subject? How many books have been uh, written by Hindus? How many case studies have been collected by Hindus? We immediately closed our eyes. We became ostrich. We anesthetized ourselves. And we bleed by anesthetizing ourselves. This war will go. It will not remain there. The war which did not go even for a moment after the invasions of the Islam started on India. Invasions of Muslims started on India. That war did not go. It did not go in 47. It did not evaporate in 47. Then it emerged in 8990 as the religious cleansing and genocide of the Hindus. If the state of India cannot prevent and reverse the genocide on, the, on its own soil, what value it has for the Hindus who are being subjected to genocide in Pakistan and Bangladesh? Hundreds of millions of people were, were killed or converted in those parts of India. You have a genocidal process in West Bengal taking place, which is called as political violence. The similar things will happen in Kerala. In fact, there are genocidal attritions all across India, which we deny. So the, the mute question is, why is Indian state ignoring the genocide? And why are the Hindus ignoring the genocide? Unless we face these two realities, unless we try to answer this question, we will not be able to evolve the processes. We will not be able to evolve the responses. Because if to such monumental tragedies, imagine three million people dying within a, within a span of six months. Has it ever happened in the world? Let us say only one million people died. Has one mil million people died anywhere in the world during a span of six months? What does it mean in terms of intensity of violence? What does it mean in terms of the destruction, the expanse of destruction and the expanse of the ultimately the mutilation of the people within a small short period of time? So India is a hope. But this hope will materialize when India will stand up on its legs. And India cannot stand on its legs if it remains with its eyes closed, with its body desensitized. It will not be able to survive as a nation. I'm not trying to sound as a pessimist. I'm not. Indian civilization has survived 1,000 years when almost three civilizations perished within 100 years of, uh, after Islam was declared as a creed. India has survived. There, are, there is a huge depth of our civilization. The layers of our, one layer fades away and another layer comes. That is, that is my confidence is there. But once we talk about meeting the challenge of this war, meeting, putting a heart to it, it's not a priority as it. it. It is not a priority for Indian state because it is the only state in the world which is at war with its own nation. I have told uh, Sanjay Ji uh, many times that Pakistan is an abnormal nation with a normal state. India is a normal nation with an abnormal state. We have to correct it. How we correct it, that it depends upon how, how our mind works. But at the same time, the Hindus have to realize that there is a relentless, ruthless genocide war going against them for, for a thousand years. To survive as a civilization, they have to put a halt to it. And to put a halt to it, they have to recognize it. What is happening is that right from RSS up to Congress, nobody recognizes it. And perhaps it's our responsibility to tell the Hindus of India that Indian state will not be in sync with your most egalitarian, forward-looking, humanitarian interests unless and until it does not put a halt and it does not reverse the genocide inflicted, inflicted on the Hindus of India or being inflicted on the Hindus of India. If Indian state does not have this commitment, then Indian state will be a 
state of denial of genocide. And denial of genocide is the climax of genocide. Holocaust experts say that denial of genocide is hounding out the victim next time. It is a double killing. It is, it is basically killing the victim again and again by distorting even the memory, destroying even the memory of the genocide of their victimhood. So we are, you have taken up an issue which is so sensitive, which is so fundam uh, fundamental and elemental, that in case we do not move through it, in case we do not go through this uh, road, we will not be able to reclaim ultimately India as the India what RSS people say, it will not come. It will not come through this route. We have to face the reality. There is a geno Pakistan is a genocidal wall committed to inflicting more genocides on India. And the Western culture, which has come out of the worst periods of humanitarian, what you call as assaults, which, is, which have come from the West as imperialists, as colonialists, previously as, as, um, um, as theophasists, that West, which has now got the uh, renaissance, that still is not sensitized. That is not sensitized to the worst type of tragedy which has which have been inflicted upon a civilization, which each creed, which constituted the Western political culture at that point of time over the years, wanted to destroy. India has been a prized ca catch. It has been a prized catch for them before, um, um, uh, even before the First World War. They won the two world wars through the resources, human as well as material resources of India. So we have a challenge. We have a monumental challenge. Unless we address it, we will be circum by circumventing the issue. We will not be able to come out of it. I am hopeful because we have survived the worst type of assaults and we have come out of it. And the people who have unleashed assault have, uh, assaults on us have disintegrated. That is my hope. But my caution is, that the biggest enemy of victims is incomprehension. We are still in a state of incomprehension. Very eloquently put. Devoti ji, the punchline, according to me, this uh, narration of Dr. Chungu is that Pakistan is an abnormal nation with a normal state. And India is a normal nation with an abnormal state. So what do we do about it? Muted. The doctor has analyzed the disease and also given the prescription. So I will just say that, you know, we know the history now. We know what has happened. The question is, where do we go from here? So despite all the wisdom and the knowledge we know for sure that you know, we made a mistake. Hindus made a mistake by misapplying the interpretation of philosophies of Vesudeva Kutumukham, Atititi Devo Bhava. So when he says Pakistan is an abnormal state, an abnormal structure, a normal this, I say it's abnormal in both respects. There's nothing normal about it. It's an abnormality of Pakistan that is the, the, the truth that is staring in our eyes. But we have to look at in our own Girevan Mechakna Paregana. So, which was the government that was doing all that they did? No, Nehru and Indira Gandhi were Kashmiri Pandits. And Indira Gandhi changed because of her marriage. But Nehru was a Kashmiri Pandit. He misled his own people. Who do we blame? Right? And the Kashmiri Pandits probably trusted him. The guy misled the whole country and its own people. We also know that the left is very smart. The left have perfected. They have mastered the art of deception and obfuscating history and hiding the truth. We had five, uh, for five terms, we had five Muslim education ministers who completely changed the narrative, softened the impact. What are people going to do after the post-independence, you know, uh, uh, at, uh, you know, Post-independence fatigue, as I say. But the point which I'm trying to make here is where do we go from here? And where do we go from here is the key question. And unless and until we address that question, blaming Hindus for not being and not doing adequate is enough. Common man is always dependent on the leadership. Our leadership was distorted. 
And that's the reason why it has sucked into our system, body politic, in such a way that we live with a denial of a fact. And I have due respect to it, Dr. Chungu, that we have survived thousands of years of onslaught. Yes, we have, indeed. But we are also being broken up. We have already surrendered three prime lands of our country to three Islamic republics. Afghanistan, Mahabharat ki kahani chali gayi wahan pe. Gandhar pura chala gaya unko. Pakistan and Bangladesh chala gaya. So we are in the threat of balkanization. So think about it from that perspective. And that's what we have to think about is that what do we do next? And that's the agenda that is key. That's the thing we must talk about. That if our genocidal stories are all driven by the United Nations Charter prescriptions, what are we doing about it? Why is the government not responding? What is the challenge that government is facing? I would expect and want Prime Minister Modi to say so, that these are the hurdles we are facing in the system. It has become a systemic problem for us. See, you have, if, if I know that smoking causes cancer, and if I still smoke, who do I blame? The cigarette company or the government that has not banned the cigarette or myself? So it is a very interesting scenario that Indians are facing that we have to contest, we have to confront, and we have to stand up to the, to the, to the misdeeds that have been brought about on our country, whether it was left domination or were Nehru, Nehruvian di uh, dimension that caused all this damage, we have to uproot it. So cutting the branches of a tree doesn't solve the problem. We have to uproot it. We have to go to the root of it. And now we know the root. So let's kind of uproot the root itself and install new seed. And that's possible. It's happening. And I'm very happy about one thing that in this country right now, in this country right now, India, there is a far greater awareness, much greater anxiety much greater desire to do something. And there is a need for leadership, need for narrative. That's what we are doing here is to, we are not no longer relying on so-called mainstream media who distorted the history. We know that. So we are now no longer watching them. There, are, there was a person who told me yesterday, oh, I have not watched NDTV for years. I have not watched the mainstream media for years. I'm relying on Jaipur Dialogues for information and the honest truth. So congratulations to all of us here. We are doing something positive to inspire people. That's our goal here. And I'm all, all saying that everybody who is watching this show, pick one thing and do something about it. And if it is so, technology is a big enabler. Let's use it. Otherwise, we will just talk about it. We will talk about it. Our history is so glorious. We were golden bird. Let's not go into denial. Let's face the facts, the truth that it is. And unless and until we do that, we will continue to have a conversation. Vichar, Vimarsh, Vishleshan, Vimochan, or Vikyan hota rahega, Bhagavad Gita ka mool mantra jo action ka tha, wo hum bhul gaye. To hume ab, wo kehte hai, bureaucracy mein bada achha shabd hai na ta, is chiz ko karyanvit kiya jaye. Tab humare jo narrative hai, usko karyanvit kiya jaye. And that's what I want to say. That in my work now, in the last 30 years that I have been here, that's what I have been doing is to change the narrative to the Western media and Western, Western audience. Think about us from our perspective. And I'll give you one example. In one of the investment programs, many CEOs told me, your country is totally screwed up. You are a socialist country, corrupt bureaucracy, corrupt politicians, nothing happens there. Every Indian nods his head, shakes his head, but never commits to doing anything. And you are so backward. And I told him immediately thereafter. I said, look, you are looking at India from the prism of America of 2000. That's where you are making a mistake. Look at India from the prism of America post Second World War. That's where India is today. If we were perfect, we won't need you. And then they said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I said, that's where you have to come and take advantage of the opportunity. I'm talking about the same thing to every Indian here. You know now what is happening. Now do something about it. Seek out leadership. Question leadership. Ask leadership. If you do not, 
create the demand, there will be no supply. A classic learning of economics, demand and supply situation, right? So if I'm not suffering from heart attack or heart ailment, I won't go to a heart doctor, right? I won't go to a cardiologist. If I have a problem with ulcer, I'll go to a gastro guy. That's the point which I'm trying to say to you. Let's identify what ails us. What are we suffering from? And if we do not begin to take positive steps now onwards, then we will keep talking about it. And I want people to think, enough baatein bahut ho gayi, ab chalo kuch kaam bhi kare. That's the point which I'm trying to drive at. And I totally say, I mean, I was in Delhi in 1990. Kashmiri exodus happened. I was in Srinagar when the first bullets were fired on that particular day. So I'm, I'm totally understanding of the situation. I can't ever feel the pain that Kashmiri pundits have gone about. But I have interacted with them many. But despite all the wisdom, Saraswati ka pa ki peet thi wo, Sharada peet thi wo, where did we, what happened to our intellect and wisdom and knowledge that we did not do anything to protect and defend ourselves, our own dharma. Ghul gaya ki Mahabharat aur Ramayan mein bhi yudh hua tha. Aur dharma ke liye humne shastra uthaye the. Woh shastra ab kab uthega? Agar aaj bhi na utha, to hum aise hi baithe dinar ke mode mein rahenge. So that's where we have to get out of. Thank you very much. Okay, so let me request all our audience or the people or the viewers watching to please uh, start asking your questions because I'm about to field last question of this to the panelists. And after that, we will go to the audience questions. Uh, Dr. Chirungu, in my proposition, when I made the initial proposition, I also said that the uh, Hindu Mesia, the Hindu hatred, which we find so pervasive in the West, is actually related to our own self-loathing or our own denial of genocide. If we had pitched this genocide strongly, then maybe the West would not have uh, dared to hate us the way it does. True. See, that, that's called the, uh, what you are saying is absolutely correct. That's called, we, we have internalized the enemy. We have not externalized the enemy as yet. Uh, internalization and me means that when you see all the faults in your own self, you think that what has happened to you was not as much a result of the external assault. It was more a result of our internal failings. In the light of monumental um, attacks on the humanity, uh, genocidal attacks, if you call them, what happens um, when the enemy is very, very strong and the enemy is so strong that it is, it's, it's reaches across the continents and you suddenly start feeling that I'm very weak, I'm very small. At that time, an escape reaction takes um, control of the, uh, uh, the, target, uh, the tar target nation or the target community. And the best way is to blame your own self. Having said that, that doesn't mean that we, we don't have to understand um, the internal shortcomings. But that certainly means that we have to externalize the enemy. What type of assault was happening on India? It was a totalitarian assault. What is a totalitarian assault? We talk about it, all of us know about jihad. And then we are caught up in the debate that jihad means internal jihad, basically, and it's a misinterpretation. The type of war which the Islam unleashed on the humanity. They call it a jihad. Let us say it is not. Let us for a moment accept that um, Quran does not condone it. Or Quran does not um, uh, reflect it. Even if that it is there. But ultimately those who waged this jihad. They were all Muslims. They were all quoting uh, Quran. They were all quoting um, ultimately Muhammad. They were all taking inspiration from the life of Muhammad. We cannot ignore that fact. Now, what is this totalitarian war? This totalitarian war is where uh, the jihadic totalitarian war is. I'll, I'll just I, I give you an example. The, the concept of terror in jihad. What is the concept of terror in jihad? The best and the most unequivocal expression uh, to this fact has been given by, by the Pakistani general Brigadier Malik. 
and he says terror struck into the hearts of the enemy is not only a means it is the end in itself once a condition of terror into the opponent's heart is obtained hardly anything is left to be achieved it is the point at which the means and the end meet and merge terror is a means of imposing decision upon the enemy it is a decision we wish to impose upon him imagine imagine how the enemy is thinking about what they are doing this is what i mean is externalization in jihad there is no society there is all society is paramilitary society all the all the resources of the society are at the disposal of the religious war in this numbers are not counted how many infidels are to be killed even if there are millions or billions they have to be killed legitimately we have to realize it then it's an it's a it's a war which is ultimately in wait for an apocalypse qiyamat ka intezar hai qiyamat ke time hi mahdi bhi aayega now it's an apocalyptic war how do we understand it how do we realize it how do we internalize this they say what is the dif difference between the totalitarian say uh, communism or the communist wars and the uh, islamic uh, totalitarian islamist wars about the communist war they say yes it is also irrational ideology driven by an irrational ideology where uh, the objective is an, a, a utopia of a classless society and islam is also driven by a utopia utopia of creating an ummah or a darul islam the entire world becoming mumin accepting ultimately believing in the same allah but then they say the difference here is that in the islamist war the methodology is irrational they think of life after death and whenever the communists were confronted between existence and their ideology they chose existence the soviet union was dissolved because russia russia was almost getting finished in fact well before the afghanistan war and it is now being documented that the russian president had mentioned this to the americans that we want to withdraw from afghanistan let us do it in a peace in a in a way that it does not help the islamists the americans took it that he was weak and now this is the time that we have to press the button and ultimately the american um, experts themselves said it was the biggest mistake and we got caught up so soviet union was dissolved to preserve russia the same thing happened in berlin the same thing happened in cuba where the choice was between say for example um, preserving the ideology and preserving the existence they many times took the decision of preserving the existence but this is not case with the islam this is not the case with the islamic expansion or the islamic reg regression the targets are very regressive now this has an implication because if jihad is unfolding on india in the form of terror then hindus cannot escape the um, escape understanding what type of terror it is if we try to delay this understanding we will not be able to fight it i have to say two more things just before i close one thing is i just want to bring it to a note because it repeatedly comes just before independence in 1946 and even after independence in 1947 kashmiri pandit leadership of valley meet meets Uh, Jawaharlal Nehru, and tells him National Conference is an outrightly communal organization. It is not going to deliver the secular ends. And on both the occasions, Nehru tells them, "You have to merge with National Conference, or you have to run away, or you have to get finished." There was an old Islamic slogan in uh, Kashmir which was given against the Hindus, uh, Hindus of Kashmir: "Raliu galiu to chaliu." Raliu Raliu means milna. you have to merge you have to you have to you have to converge and merge you have to accept galu means finish you you just melt away you just get finished salu means you run away this slogan not in these words was articulated to to the kashmiri pandits by nehru itself this is a different subject um did did kashmiri pandits support nehru in 47 I'll give you just one example because this is a subject which is coming again and again. 
Nehru had to write a letter to Sardar Patel, and it is mentioned in the letters. It, the letter is there that he had to tell him that why don't you advise Kashmiri Pandits? They are opposing Sheikh Mohammed Abdullah, and they are creating problems. So there is a lot of stereotypes which have been built over the period of time, like a stereotype that Maharaja delayed accession because he wanted to preserve his kingdom. Nobody was ever told that Maharaja delayed because even Congress top leadership was telling him that you delayed because the fate of Junagad, Hyderabad and Bhopal was still hanging. They didn't want to take him a preemptive action which will force ultimately the other two states to uh, accede to Pakistan. In fact, Maharaja was given this um, suggestion that you will be bartered away. Now, once I am trying to tell these things, here is the reality. Nehru lived in Allahabad for 200 years. He could not become an Allahabadi. And even after 200 years, he is still a Kashmiri Pandit. And Kashmiri Pandits have to still bear the cross of Nehru. When I say this thing, I don't mean to say all Kashmiri Pandits are good. We were in an attrition zone. Maybe the compromisers was more. We were trying to survive in a living in an overwhelmingly Muslim, um, Muslim society, living in a Muslim state. It's a different experience altogether. I'm not trying to condone anybody's sins, but I, because we are here, we are all people uh, who, who love India, who love Hindus, who want to do something. Um, we are here for, uh, for trying to evolve at least a narrative which is going to deliver Hindus out of a morass after a long, long time. That's why I put it here. I'm only trying to conclude myself that we have to understand what is the enemy. What is the type of terror? which we are facing. What is the type of the war which we are facing? Jihad is a total war and terror is just a small arm of it. We all know it, but we have to internalize it. We all know that Hindus were destroyed, but we have never internalized the fact that genocide has happened. We have to respond to genocide. From our morning prayer to our all ritual um, uh, structure, the jihad, reversing this jihad and stopping this genocide, it has to be an objective. It has come. It has to come in our sankalp. It has to come in our prarthana. It is not. For 1,000 years, we have to do it. Those are the basic preliminary psychological steps. And the decisive step is to recognize. So till the time, Indian state is at war with its own civilization. It distorts its own <coughs> civilization. Till the time we cannot bring it in harmony with the civilizational interests of India, we have a task cut out for us. Now, once I say... So, for example, if we agree on these propositions, then we have a very clear cut task to tell to our political leaders whom we have been waiting, sometimes presuming that they are following the Hindu interests, sometimes seeing that after declaring that they will be following the Hindu interests, they are abandoning them. We have a very clear cut. Um, um, we'll be having a very clear cut picture in front of us. Sometimes back, somebody said that the Hindus have to take a pledge that they will only vote for those who protect Hindu interests. Wonderful thing. It has to be done. Let us all take pledge. But people like us, people like Sanjay Dikshit, Mr. Jha, you have to create a framework. How will we assess whether a leader is pro-Hindu or not? There has to be a framework created. Abnisho at the very beginning before you unleash a political response to it. Is that how can we assess whether a person is pro-Hindu or not? A very scientific format has to be made. The, the format should be the way, say, the human rights... Uh, Human rights behavior of countries or the leaders of the political parties is assessed in, say, United Nations. Say, for, for example, in America, Europe, to decide whether we have to give the aid or not, whether, whether they, are, they can be the recipient of the legitimate aid or not. We have to create a format. And some people who are above party politics, they have to tell the people that assess them on these yardsticks. These preliminary, very, very preliminary, but basically fundamental psychological uh, um, say what is responses to the situation can create the profound response in the ground and i want to tell you we have reached a stage where the political war against the muslim communalism has to be won on the streets of india we have reached that stage that's why i many times say that we are at that stage where and psychologically, we are at the at the very we are at that stage when um, 
Subhash Chandra Bose realized that Congress is an irrelevant instrument for the um, independence of India. Congress cannot deliver independence to India. It is intellectually, ideologically, or physically incapable of doing it. Hindus of India are face to face with this type of a moment. And we have to realize that the present dispensation, unless the target is very clear, the target is that if Indian state is neutral or hostile to the interests of um, Hindus, then we have to realize that it has to be brought on the track. It has to be transformed. And the most important thing which can happen is that Indian state ultimately owns its responsibility to stop and reverse the genocide being inflicted on Hindus in India and outside India. If Indian state avoids it, it cannot follow, it cannot uphold any interest of Hindus. And for that, it's very critical that the law, Indian state has ratified the convention of the prevention and the punishment of the crime of genocide. Indian state has not, India, India has not as yet have a law. Perhaps, again, at an intellectual level, at a people's level, we have to say that let, let there be a law. Let, let the Indian parliament, let the constitution of India have an act now, which, which is clearly address, which addresses the crime of genocide, its punishment and its reversal in, uh, in line with the convention of the prevention and um, punishment of the crime of genocide. Okay, right. Uh, as usual, very eloquently put. Uh, I think uh, this is the right time now to move to the questions and answers. And let me request all my viewers to please share this video, like it, 